Welcome back to Business First Roundtable Series. This is where we gather newsmakers and experts in different fields to talk about issues facing our community, particularly when it comes to economic development, since that's our specialty here at Business First. I'm editor Doug Buchanan, and I appreciate you listening. We do these roundtables quarterly, so keep an ear out for more. In the past, we've talked with restaurant entrepreneurs, medical marijuana advocates and regulators, hospitality industry insiders, venture capitalists, and others. Today, we have several people involved in the important but difficult work of fighting poverty, which is a core economic development issue since we need to raise up all of our citizens if we're going to continue to grow as a region and attract new businesses and jobs. And with that, please enjoy the podcast. Uh, Joining us today, uh, we have Joy Bivens, Director of the Franklin County Department of Job and Family Services. Trudy Bartley, Associate Vice President, Office of Government Affairs at Ohio State University. Uh, Bo Chilton, Chief Executive Officer of Impact Community Action. Kenny McDonald, President and Chief Economic Officer of Homes 2020. And Lisa Portis, CEO of the United Way of Central Ohio. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, From Business First, we have me. I'm Doug Buchanan. I'm the editor. Mark Summerson, Managing Editor. Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor. Tristan Navarro, a reporter and Nick Fortini, our uh, publisher, is here as well. Let's uh, let's get this started. Uh, Joy, uh, since this occasion of, of setting this up is the uh, release of Rise Together, uh, this is a blueprint for reducing poverty in Franklin County that came out recently. Yes, it was earlier this summer. Yes, earlier this summer. Spring, yeah, the county is growing, and we, they understood that we're doing a lot of good work as far as funding programs. But as we continue to grow where the poverty rate is and the unemployment rate is, our unemployment rate, I believe, is what, 2.7%. 2.7%. But they understood that when you peeled that onion back, there were a lot of people within our community that was not thriving. So they put a RFP out on the street, and we um, contracted with a consultant, more consultant, to assist us in taking us on a journey to develop a strategic plan to get us all in the same boat and align all of the systems so that we're all moving in the same direction. So during that process, what we did was we had 200 conversations with residents who are living in poverty. We went into homeless camps. We spoke to youth. We spoke to single parents. We went into the um, jail system and spoke to our residents there. We spoke to anyone and everyone that will listen to us. And we also had conversations with those leaders who were working with people dealing with poverty. And basically, the essence of the conversation was, what are we not doing? Where are we missing it? And what do we need to do more of to assist you in moving up the economic mobility ladder? We then took that information up to work groups and we flushed that information out. Those work groups were made up of business leaders, again, nonprofit leaders, Mm -hmm. government leaders, residents, to assist us in figuring out what were the key things that residents were telling us that we needed to work on. And as you may know, it was not a surprise. The themes were housing, youth, healthcare, and I can't have jobs, right? So out of that, we all we did was flush out the information and sent that information up to a steering committee who acted as kind of like the uh, the leadership and the governing authority to assist us in developing 13 goals and 120 action steps in the plan. So I would like to just go on the record to say everything that is written in this plan was did not come was not derived from um, you know people who just work in poverty. These action, these suggestions, these recommendations, these goals actually are the words of our residents who are saying this is what we need to move us forward. 
So also in that was an overarching theme of racism. And I always share this in a group. You would think that it would be people of color who initially brought up the issue of race, but it was not. Initially, it was people that were Caucasian who would bring it up. And then once they brought it up, it opened the door to have a really raw and thorough conversation on racism as it relates to poverty. So the commissioners... Two weeks ago, we had a racial equity training, and a part of the plan, we are um, we are convening meetings with nonprofit leaders. The business community is going to go through the racial equity training okay. to assist us in developing a holistic plan that we can take across the county to deal with the issue of race. Because what we saw when we looked at the data was whether it was 40 years ago, 60 years. 60 years ago, 20 years ago, it is people of color and it is women who are being predominantly impacted by poverty. Yes, that was uh, right at the very beginning of the report was uh, the the emphasis on race. So I do want to come back to that. Trudy, you are going to be in charge of the new innovation center. Is that uh, your your role? Do you want to explain kind of what uh, what your role is going to be going forward? So the innovation center is a place where we can take risk that we haven't before within the county as far as how do we actually move the needle? How do we look at it from what are some of the policies that need to be changed, not only on a state but a federal level? What are some of the programming issues that we have within the county? There are so many nonprofits And there are so many nonprofits who do so many things because at this point in time, when you're looking at the the environment, you have nonprofits that are chasing money. And they're chasing money according to what is the focus at that time. So we're saying we need to really rid our evaluation system of that and look at who's doing it best. And having those nonprofits to do it best continue, and those nonprofits that are getting into it because it's where the money is, do what you do well. Stay in your lane. (laughs) It's not about taking money away, but finding sustainability in something that really is your gifting within your, your nonprofit. Also looking at how from a donor standpoint, not only public dollars, but private dollars and foundation dollars, how do we focus and make get the biggest bang for our bucks? Looking at those focus areas that came out of the Rise Together plan. Okay. How do we focus more so on programming that actually moves the needle for youth, that moves the needle for housing, that moves the needle for workforce development, that moves the needle for education, that moves the needle for safety? How do we actually come together, work together, and have a value add. So therefore, there is a change in the county. Now, a lot of what we've done in Columbus has been very place-based in that we go into a neighborhood, we, from a bottoms-up approach, ask the neighborhood, what is it that you want your neighborhood to be, and come out with these same four areas, which we did in Wyland Park, which we did on the Near East Side, which was done on the South Side, which is being done in Linden and in Hilltop. This is a more holistic that's really going to complement what is happening in the neighborhoods because many of the individuals that you have in these neighborhoods are underserved and are TANF recipients. Okay. So so you're not saying that that approach was wrong. I'm not saying that approach is wrong. I'm saying this is taking it and making it bigger. 
It's being more visionary, saying we're going to complement the programmatics that are happening that, let's say, United Way is funding in, in the South Side. Okay. So, for instance, if you're looking at one of the big issues that single women with children have as far as not taking a job from a promotional opportunity, it's the benefits cliff. Mm -hmm. If I take right. that job, I'm going to lose this. Mm -hmm. right. So, therefore, that is one of the big ideas that we have about universal child care mm -hmm. or universal pre-K. Mm -hmm. That will eliminate that woman having to make that choice okay. of taking that promotional opportunity that will help to sustain her family and being able to provide for what she believes her success is. Okay. So we're looking at how do we assist families, because we're looking at it from a people-centered standpoint. How do we help that household to achieve what their success is according to what they believe that is and what their prosperity is? Not us telling them what that is. Right. So we're going to have three individuals who are being hired and consultants from the county okay. who every day they wake up and they are going to work on what the three potential recommendations are and that big idea. Now, those ideas that came out of the 13, recommendation, um, 13 goals are recommendations with the 17 individuals that will be the leadership council. They will look at this and maybe something else comes out of that. Okay, sure. But that's where we're starting. And so we're going to take 18 months. We're going to have these individuals work at the partnership with Corporate Columbus because we really need that connectivity because we need to understand what that pathway is from someone who has a minimum wage job to mm -hmm. a pathway to get them to where they can be and their household is sustainable. So right now you have, let's say, Building Futures. And Building Futures is an example of a pathway that has already been started. But what are the other pathways that we can discover looking at the growth of Columbus? When you look at the growth and you look at the sky and you look at the cranes, you're seeing them around the health systems. Right. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so currently we have a partnership with um, the College of Nursing at The Ohio State University with... Franklin County Job and Family Services okay. to train community health workers. And so what is that articulation to get them from a community health worker to maybe mm -hmm. an allied medical assist, allied medical health, and they go to classes, let's say, at Columbus State, and how do we bring Jobs Ohio into that with their certification program to be able to pay for those certificates that they're going through at Columbus State, and then from there, maybe they want to become a nurse. And how do you go from that articulation from Columbus State to Ohio State or whatever college of nursing that you want to become an LPN and RN? So we're looking at what are the opportunities as we look at the growth that's happening in Columbus, and how do we get individuals exposed right. to understand what the opportunities are? Okay. Well, that's a good segue. Can we uh, skip over to Kenny then? Uh, you're going to house this uh, at, the, at the partnership in Columbus 2020. Can you kind of ex expand on what she was saying and, and what sure. the role that, that you see your organization? So maybe I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So okay. first, I just applaud the Franklin County Commissioners, Joy, Trudy, and the dozens of people that leaned in during the process. We were we were doing uh, a lot of our strategic planning work for the next decade in a parallel fashion. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting to go from the meetings that I was having, you know, at a community level, stakeholder level, boardroom level, 
uh, and then go into the steering committee meetings and stuff and talk to, you know, the challenges we have, um, they sort of permeate. And the conversations sure. were pretty similar. The context for all of this is that you guys run a business, you understand how hard growth is and how hard you have to work at it. But we look at a limitation to our growth and particularly to getting prosperity is this un these underlying issues of housing inequities, which is a really big one with some real obstacles that are legislative and everything else, mobility issues, racism, cadre of things that we think are uh, eating away uh, underneath sort of the top line growth that we're seeing in, in Columbus, both in business growth, GDP growth, as well as population growth, right? And where we are, I love the connection. I, I think it's I think it's going to be fantastic to have the team sort of embedded in our offices. We're certainly not the experts in these fields of innovation and housing inequities and uh, mobility and things like that. But I do think that there's incredible connectivity with the corporate community and then just kind of the everyday action of the economy and what's going on. We tend to be in the, in the stream of it on a daily basis, mm -hmm. the flow of it and have a good feel for whether it's up or down or sideways and what businesses are saying about struggles to get people, things like that. So I, uh, you know, it basically aligns and it is addressing something that we can't address from an economic development community standpoint alone, um, that these things have to be alleviated if we're gonna actually continue to have top line growth, right? Because the limitations, the ceiling we have is actually in these areas. It's not necessarily our business competitiveness and things like that, although that's a constant issue, right? To fight for things and get our piece of the pie globally and statewide and everything else. So, I mean, we're, we're excited about it. It's coming at it. You know, in some ways you think it's coming too late. You know, why weren't we addressing some of these issues before? Perhaps where did we fail before historically and, you know, in the modern era and stuff? On the other hand, is coming at just the right time. Columbus is growing. It has resources. People are excited about where the community is going, and they're probably more willing to lean in on a lot of issues than they've ever been before. Sure. Uh, Impact Community Action's mission is to reduce poverty by providing hope, inspiring help, and real opportunities for self-sufficiency. Uh, we were created in 1964 as part of Lyndon B. Johnson's vision for a great society and his declaration of the war on poverty. Uh, there's 1,100 community action agencies across the nation, 48 here in the state of Ohio. We serve all 88 counties. Uh, we serve about 25,000 customers annually, have a budget of about $8 million and 75 full-time employees. Our focus is really helping people in poverty become self-sufficient and helping them climb that economic mobility ladder. Uh, we do that by providing support for people in crisis to try and stabilize families through uh, rental assistance, utility assistance, things that will basically help them uh, stabilize their, their family situation. And then we empower people to become self-sufficient through workforce development programming, re-entry for formerly incarcerated individuals, uh, work with opportunity youth ages 16 to 24 to make sure that they're on a career path or re-enrolled in school. 
Uh, we also have a weatherization program. We weatherize people's homes and on average help them save about 28% uh, on their utility bills. And so we try and address uh, housing costs and, and barriers in a holistic way. Okay. Uh, we do that through comprehensive case management, identifying what are the barriers to employment, how do we knock those out, and then how do we help people get to that employment position, and then how do they go and grow from there. And again, your role with Rise Together, you're on the uh, steering committee. I was yeah. on the steering committee, okay. and we have a couple of programs. Uh, that One that was piloted with the county, uh, the Building Futures Program. Okay, yeah. And uh, that was a partnership that we forged with the unions as a result of a construction trades program that we had already created, and then they came and partnered. Uh, we piloted that, had great success. Uh, and that program is now being led by the uh, Urban League and the partnership with the unions. Uh, we maintain a skilled trades program that is focused more on the residential side versus the commercial side and uh, have some innovative ideas around what I think we can do to address uh, affordability uh, in housing. Right. Uh, we also have a program, uh, speaking of the kind of the credentialing and getting to the higher wage jobs, we have a partnership uh, that is funded by the county, the Roads to Work program, okay. which is teaching uh, people how to become a commercial driver or to get a CDL license mm -hmm. and on the job uh, or on the road driving. And so that has been very successful, leading to higher wage jobs. Lisa, some of what Trudy was saying seemed to fit with some of the direction that the United Way has been going in recent years as far as focusing on poverty and, and kind of working with their nonprofits a little bit differently. Can you kind of talk about how this fits into the mm -hmm. process, how United Way now fits into this? Exciting time in that I see us more aligned in the community than ever before in my career, my 25-year career in Columbus, and that the willingness to work together, the recognition of some of these really serious problems and that what we've been doing isn't working, right? Yeah. And so, and I, I think about, I want to ask Kenny to speak on our, what's his prediction of a recession after mm. the stock market right. yesterday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what we're dealing with is serving a community <laughs> that um, hasn't returned to pre-great recession levels of poverty, right, mm -hmm. which yeah. were much lower. And we're now maybe going into another recession, but we haven't, our community, and most communities haven't recovered because okay. there's still, we have 400,000, as you well know, people in our community who do not have the income that they need to meet their expenses. So the alignment is really important and it's really exciting. And so it's about not programming ourselves out of poverty, mm -hmm. but looking at some of these larger issues. And the work that we have done in partnership with the county, but then in our own work with high-performing nonprofits, has come back, consistently come back to structural racism. And if we don't tackle that first and stay on that, and it's a stay on that for a long time, like in our lifetime, then will we ever really make a difference? And so we're prioritizing implicit bias training, equity training, integration as a part of our capacity building with our nonprofit partners, there are 84 of them, who we believe are doing you know, some of the, the best work in the space right now of helping people who are living in poverty. Yeah, reading again, uh, Joy, you know, right in the report it says, in taking a frank assessment of poverty in Franklin County, the steering committee identified and prioritized the need to be candid and direct about the historic and current role race and racial inequities play in perpetual poverty. Can you expand on that, uh, you know, a little bit? 
So again, looking at the data, when you you know we are a phenomenal community. There's a lot of growth, and we we promote that a lot. But when you really look behind the curtain of who's being impacted, you have 29% African Americans, or 30%, 20 African Americans, 30%, well, 29.9 Hispanics yeah. potentially that are really being impacted by poverty, and it's been like this for years. So what we see is we, we question ourselves. And it's like, why is it we, we're putting all this money in a great program? I know just I can speak for JFS mm -hmm. that we have about $30 million in contracts that we put on the street, right, to assist people with work supports and credentialing and all these things. But over those last several years, this data has maintained the same. What we know is there are people that are unemployed within our systems, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're underemployed within our systems, what we need to do is make sure that we're giving them the same opportunities and everything being equitable to move them up, right? Yeah. We had a conversation, and I'm going to just go on the record and say this because I think I can, and I know this is not live. Um, we had a conversation, and we were talking about racism within a community, and I um, was talking to an educator, and what she said to me was, in our conversation, we were not ready for those kids, and I said, okay, run that back for me again, yeah, right? Yeah. So she said, oh, my God. I said, exactly. And I said, so if you already have that mindset, how do you treat those kids in your classroom, right? Are you patient? Do you over-discipline, right? Mm -hmm. So these are things like really getting into the root of making sure that we're dealing with our implicit bias, we are tackling racism straight on so that everyone has the, the inequitable pathway to move up. Because we always talk about systems and aligning systems. Yeah. We're for, I'm all for aligning systems, but systems need to be equitable, right? And I think that some of the policies, unfortunately, that have impacted some of our poor communities, unfortunately, where people of color have lived and people in poverty have lived, we're still recovering from redlining and gentrification and all those things, and we talk about it, but who's really calling it out and saying, okay, we're gonna just blow the whole thing up and try to do something different, right? Looking at our policies and saying, you know, this might be a great idea within a boardroom or within an executive session for a legislator, but has that legislator walked into those neighborhoods to see the impact of who would be impacted by those decisions? Do they commune with those people? Right. And also within our systems, you know, when we are when you have an opportunity to promote. Right. Many times because we're human who we fellowship with, who we commune with, that's who we're comfortable with. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you get two individuals within an organization who have the same credentials. Right. One white, one brown, black or whatever. And because you're more comfortable with a more uh, with the Caucasian person, right. same credential. Right. You make that decision based on your implicit bias without giving the person of color or a woman an opportunity to move up because you're not comfortable with it as the authority, right? And we're not saying, check, this is not about checking boxes. This is not about saying, hey, we're going to you know, hire five black, brown, black and brown people by 2020 because that doesn't work. You can do that, but until you deal with, we deal with our cultures within our systems, we're still going to continue to have these same issues because we have people that are not just severely living in poverty, but we have people who are underemployed within systems that are qualified, mm -hmm. but unfortunately cannot move up because of whatever the, the culture is of the organization. So when we say dealing with it and calling it out, we have to have very frank conversations with system leaders. Um, I asked a business leader last night, how, tell me how diverse your organization is. And they said, 
Joy is not. And I said, why? And the person said, I have no idea. Because no one's asked the question. And that is, when we say being direct, it's not to, and, and to talk about racism, it's not to imply, I said this to, um, to Alex Fisher in one of our meetings. I said, when we're talking about racism, I'm not implying that you know all white people are racist because many times you people cringe and you feel uncomfortable. It's okay, but many times you may not be racist. People may not be racist, but they do have implicit bias. We all have them, but until we deal with them, until we own our implicit bias, until we look at our policies within our organizations and see who's being impacted, until we until we ask legislators, you know, the the great ideas that you're having in these silos thinking, you know, something's going to be great for a community. Have you really looked at really who's being impacted? Mm -hmm. Do you really walk into the neighborhoods of people being impacted by poverty? Do you talk to people of color? Have you asked recently, you know, how are you feeling about the organization? How is it, how is the culture impacting you? We have to be very direct and intentional about this. And we don't have to, you know, fall out and roll around in the grass over it, but we have to be honest, and it's time to be honest. So can I add uh, just something on just a, a little different? Like the, the implications of some of the stuff on housing, for example, mm -hmm. because I've, I've never talked about housing so much in my economic development career as the last two years, right. and it's, it's happening all over the country, all over the world, but... The implications of what Joy is talking about, I think a lot of times when we talk about housing, affordable housing, it's, I think what we immediately think about is, you know, adequate shelter for people, you know, and affordability <clears throat> of just getting a, a roof over people's heads and stuff. That's maybe where some people's mind goes. Right. But what the implications of what Joy is talking about is the historical bias has led to you have a lack of wealth creation in the black community because of housing, maybe more than anything else, right? And that leads to lower rates of entrepreneurship because you just don't have resources to start the business, to have the family background, to get a loan to, from, mm -hmm. your, uh, from your folks or something like other groups have. And so it plays out in a, you know, not to look at it callously, but if I look at the economy, that's the ultimate outcome of this, where you see lower rates of entrepreneurship and um, wealth creation and stuff like that. So what seems, you know, the way I think about it, the real implication to our economy and, and how we grow and how we become a better place, um, that's the ultimate end of it, not just adequate shelter and, mm -hmm. you know, getting people to a, you know, a, an entry-level job and stuff in a good, you know, from a, from a safe location or something. It's a basic need that we should be meeting that we're not always doing, but the ultimate implication to us growing up being a very prosperous, powerful global city right. is we have unused capacity because of these issues. Okay. And it goes down to the ground, right, on these on these things. That's how the, actually how we're thinking about it. I think it's interesting now that you have Congresswoman Beatty who's over um, financial services. And what she just came out as far as from a lending standpoint as far as what the banks are not doing. But that's what the banks have not been doing historically. And it's not really just about housing. It's about entrepreneurism as well. You have ethnic communities around the country that are able to build wealth. Um, African Americans have not been able to do that because of the redlining types of issues and therefore have not been able to build the 
entrepreneurs unless they were in a professional field like a dentist, a doctor, or an attorney. But when it came from a commercial standpoint as far as retail and services, it was a little harder. So you do have communities such as the Near East Site, which was a thriving African-American community that has its own business and it has its own commerce. But it had one thing that happened that stopped that, and it was the freeway. And the freeway stopped the commerce. And it stopped the businesses. And the individuals who could leave because of fair housing laws left. And those individuals who could not stay. So you went from a community of 45,000 to when we went over there to 7,700. So you look at those thriving communities that were very insulated, that supported themselves and bought from themselves hmm. to the point where there was something that happened. People had the ability to move out. People who did not, did, had not did not have the disposable income to support. And then you have a community that, and that's what's happening across the country. And right now, folks are rediscovering the central city. <laughs> and you're having the opposite. Now, I'm not saying gentrification is bad at all, because it's needed. it's needed. But it has to be balanced. I think there's an education that needs to happen in Franklin County about what poverty is before you even get to how to solve it. And it's, and you know, and what I would start with, with the, the meetings is, you know, the, the best thing that ever happened to me was getting on the CODA board because it allowed me to see Columbus from a different vantage point, to actually be on the bus all the time <laughs> and be able to see Columbus from a bus, not from your car, because your car takes you in and out on the freeway. And you pass by, and you don't see the things that you see when you, at, mm -hmm. when you stop. And you don't see the families and the mothers that are coming on with their children mm -hmm. each and every day at the same time. Because they want the best for their children. And I think we've got to get away from the stereotype that poor people are lazy. No, they want the best, and they're doing three and four jobs just to support where they right. are. And I think we people need to understand what $15 an hour means. $15 an hour, if you time it by 2080, is $31,000 a year. And if you take 30% of that, and that is your housing, look at what you have left. After taxes. After taxes. And so we need to let folks know exactly here are some of the things that people are going through each and every day who are making the best way that they can. And they want to provide the best for their families. And how do we, as a community, through system change, through policy change, through um, connectivity to jobs, make their success realized? I want to just, just add one quick point. <clears throat> I applaud the commissioners in the opening statement talking about they see the role of government to set the conditions so that all people can thrive. And so when we talk about poverty, uh, we really do need to talk about not just from a poverty man, uh, mindset, but how do we build wealth? How do we help people build out assets? And there's a great book that really emphasizes um, we're not going to just solve these issues of poverty through programs and services alone. You have to address um, structural barriers and structural racism. A great book that really defines what we mean when we say redlining and all of the effects in which federal government has set policy mm -hmm. that has oppressed people is a book by Richard Rothstein called The Color of Law. 
And I definitely recommend that for people who want to have a deeper understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about structural racism and the intersection of race and poverty. Can Columbus and Franklin County and the region do what they want to do when they're talking about poverty without the state and without the federal government's help? So if I can jump in, I don't see that happening because I think in order to deal with some of the policy, we have to make sure that the state and the, mm -hmm. the state for sure is involved um, mm -hmm. with this with this work. Um, we've had conversations with the state, with some staff members at the state, keep them abreast of what's going on. So to answer your question, we cannot do it without policy because it's there, it's a we need all cylinders working. Right. That's one of the cylinders that we need at the table in order to deal with the policy. But if I could just really add this really quick and just going back to something that Bo, you said, and I think you touched on it. When we talk about being direct and getting right to some of the systemic issues, mm -hmm. one of the things with the Innovation Center is, is getting everyone aligned. Because currently right now, we have lots of workforce programs, Lisa, right? Mm -hmm. And we fund mm -hmm. wonderful workforce programs. But if Lisa's on the east side doing great with her workforce program and Trudy's on the west side not doing so well, our community's not winning. This innovation center is gonna get Trudy and Lisa in the same room, and Lisa's gonna share her best practices with Trudy, and we're gonna have a universal dashboard to assist. And the analogy that I liken it to is um, the one that we learned in our racial equity training. You walk past a lake and you see a dead fish, right? You think something's wrong with the fish. You walk past the lake, you see 20 dead fish, and you're like, okay, Something's wrong with the lake. You walk past the lake, you see 30 dead fish, and the lake is brown. Then you say, something's wrong with the groundwater. What the purpose of all this work is, we're trying to get under that groundwater, right? And really deal with the core root and develop some systemic issues, but we have to have policy changed in mm -hmm. order to do that. Part of what the plan, I think, is intended to do is to set some priorities. Mm -hmm. So. You know, the benefit of having a well-resourced community, a growing community, is you have kind of a flowering of services and programs, not all of which have a lot of scale, right? I think of when we think about our workforce development programs, there's a lot of great programs, many of which don't have much scale at all. Best intentions, you know, on paper, a really good idea, but not getting enough people in the program to really benefit even a mid-sized employer and create a pool of people. And so setting some priorities, making some hard decisions, you know, the, the groundwork, the research by the Cohen Institute, everything actually, I think, actually is leading us towards some priority setting there that allow us to scale some things too. So you got to be innovative, you got to try new things, but you also have to scale things because it is a big city. It is a big metro area. When we go to meet and address a problem, we got to have some weight behind it uh, and be able to deliver in a pretty big way. I, and I just see that every day. The business community is motivated more than ever because of the, the tightness of the labor market and by just basic business principles. You know, businesses thrive when people around them are thriving and have discretionary income. You can't buy anything, no. right? Unless you, and so right. they're right. motivated just from a business standpoint. Small businesses, retail businesses, all the way up to corporate businesses are really motivated by this. Good or bad about Amazon, if you look at some of the practices that they've put in place, it is to create customers for life, even by, you know, some of the people they're onboarding into their businesses. Mm -hmm. 
they're they're doing things that are actually setting them up to buy from Amazon for the rest of their life. Whatever you think of that, that's a that's a that's a validation of what I just said. You know, they want people to be able to to buy things, right, in order for their business to thrive. So they need scale. They need us to deliver, um, and they're willing to help. They don't always know where to plug in. Right, which is also part of what we've been. Can I just on. give you a sure. brief example? Yeah. So we have a network that if someone has an idea, <laughs> you get on the phone, and it's let's say about workforce, yeah. and you'll say, "Hey, Joy, I think that if we do A, B, and C to be able to bring a good group of a big group of people in order for them to be trained in this." We need to bring Bo and Lisa and Lisa, Pat McDaniel, and this person together, and we create something on a micro level. If you look at the Innovation Center, it's taking that idea and building capacity to it. So there, there's more of a framework in how those ideas come in, how they get vetted, who you bring to the table, how we work on it as a prototype, how it is executed, how we collect the data, and how we bring it back, and then how we scale it. So what it is that we do on a micro level right now, like what they did with Building Futures, what we are doing with, let's say, community health workers from a healthcare standpoint, it's the same idea of having to able to bring something into some place that has the capacity to look at it, say, yay and nay, that's going to work. Let's put this prototype together. Let's do it for this. And it might be that you say, great, I- great idea can't be scaled. Exactly. It needs to be coupled exactly. with five other so, things. So right? that's the idea of putting an infrastructure together for a center that is really going to take big ideas and actually execute them. If we do- one of the things you asked about was the policy, right? Like, do the state, you know, can we do it without them? So I'm going to give this example. Um, I don't know if everyone in the room, I know some people may know that in July 1st, 2020, every center, daycare center, early learning center that does not have a star by July 1st, 2020 will not be able to receive publicly funded child care. My agency administers the publicly funded child care program. We have 27,000 children currently right now that receive it. A year and a half ago, or two years ago, when we started down this road of really analyzing what what this is going to look like, I looked at that. And back then, if 2020 was that day, 23,000 young people would not be able to be dropped off at their center, which means 10,000 workers, employees, would not be able to go to work, Mm -hmm. go to school, right? So we, we went down this path, and we started working on it doing an awareness campaign. Today, of course, we've, we're moving the needle in some capacity. But what I will tell you is this. When that legislation was written, I wonder if anyone looked at who was being impacted. Because 23,000 of those young people that are receiving publicly funded child care in Franklin County, 68% of them are kids of color who live in the lowest asset neighborhoods in this community. So when I say, you know, has did anyone think about that? And we're all for quality education. Yeah. Let's do it. We want every young person to have a, a great start, right? But how could that have been implemented? And how we how can we could have a Franklin County ensure that every center gets stepped up together equitably, right? 
So to answer your question, yes, we have to have legislation and state and federal involved in our policy so that before the policy, before it's voted on, they understand the impact to the most vulnerable. In a perfect world, we'd go back and recreate it all, right? We're chipping away at it. Exactly. I'm on a soapbox about this a lot, but we have 14,000 nonprofits in Franklin County. That's too many. Like the internet, that allowed us to have that. And so our philanthropy does not grow, and mm -hmm. it gets dissipated across all those 14,000. Right. And that's not helpful mm -hmm. to scale. So we have mm -hmm. small little programs that aren't at scale. Okay, so we have a lot of nonprofits. We have a lot of government uh, programs. Are you getting the private sector support? Are you getting the private sector interest that, that you think you need? To make this happen. I think so. I think that, first of all, we have to, um, you know, just by the mere fact that we're having the conversation, I'm having conversations just in government right now with CEOs that I wouldn't have expected to have conversations with when I started down this path, right? Because we have always operated in our silos. So when we, when we, we went through this process, what we understood was we have to have a partnership with the business community. You know, Kenny, of course, has always been supportive and um, leaned into this conversation in the work. In addition to, you know, we've had conversations with the leadership of the partnership who said, you know what, we support this plan as it relates to the community and anti-poverty. We have your back publicly. We have your back privately. And that is why they have agreed to allow our, the team to work, you know, temporarily in their in their space, and I say temporarily because if we're doing our job, we got to figure out really where does that really live after the 12 to 18 month. It may stay there, it may not. And we haven't come up with a big ask yet. There's some things we've asked of them as far as um, providing internships. We're developing a portal for young people in the summertime to support one of our goals. And they said, hey, well, you know, we, we can get our businesses engaged and ask for them to, you know, um, provide internships. But can you put it in portal or clearinghouse so that it's one spot where people can connect to young people. So we're working on that right now. Um, we do one-on-ones uh, uh, -on with the leadership of business community a lot. Uh, but again, as far as like, if, if the question is, have we asked them for a large number of dollars? We have not yet because we want to make sure it's the right ask, right? So, but they have in kind been very generous in providing us with the space. Um, I believe that going forward, they will continue to be supportive of this work. Because they see who's impacted. Their employees, you know, many times are impacted by this. So We broached this a little bit talking about if or when a recession happens again. The business community is involved now when the economy is doing really well. What happens when the economy slips? Yeah. Is that a fear? Is that a barrier to going forward? Or is that something that just makes it that much more important to get done? Oh, it's a, it's a fear every day that we have absolutely. at the United Way. Absolutely. That's what would keep me up at night. Absolutely. Absolutely. They will not be so desperate for employees, then yeah. willing to change hiring practices, yep. become a different type of organization to open to all people with different talents. It's right. just, well, so when is it happening? <laughs> How can you do about I mean, it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that same fear. I've done this for 24 years all across the country and lived through lots of recessions and a couple financial debacles or crisis or whatever you want to call them. And it's been my experience that in every community, and maybe this one more than any other, 
that the business community is is in it most of the time when they get to the community table, they're taking a lot longer view. They may not always know how to engage, right? That's why as community nonprofits, people that work in economic development, people that work in government, we got to actually help yeah. make sure that, that there's structure and a framework and a plan to help them connect with and, and invest consistently over time. I think we often think of this just as the corporate community. That's a piece of the business community. There are construction firms. There are retail leaders. I think about our, you know, the organized hospitality industry and how they're thinking about um, how they thrive and how their companies thrive and stuff like that. We've got a lot of aspects of this. My experience is that they'll continue to lean in really hard. We may have to prioritize more, but we also have to keep our eyes on the prize on what we're trying to become as a, as a yeah. metro area. More and more than ever, we actually have to kind of set that vision. And so I'm pretty, in some ways, a recession, you know, may, you know, is not a, always a terrible thing in terms of it vetting out who's going to be competitive in a global economic sense. Um, but it also plays out in communities too, you know, what's most important to get us to the end goal and keep, you know, moving through tough times. And again, the work, the, the business community here is maybe more organized than it is in most places, uh, particularly at the, at the corporate level and with the luxury of state government, institutional investment from Ohio state, from the 12, 13 other colleges and universities that we have that don't necessarily follow, you know, they may actually increase enrollment during tough times and stuff, right? That, that's Columbus yeah, Estates, that's right? Yeah. And so they become bigger employers and stuff like that. So we're in a, we're always in a, I think we're in a pretty good spot to endure certainly a recession. Financial crisis might be something different. I do worry about housing and things like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe becoming a little bit more of a different conversation and stuff like that when you go through these things, but not the commitment of the business community. I actually have no... I have no doubt about that. I just would hope the business community that's very male-dominated, very white here, the infrastructure, takes this call for understanding structural racism seriously and can stay on the road with us and on this journey, or we will not have systemic change. We met with the business community, well, the funders, um, during our conversation. Um, there were several corporate funders down at the... Um, Huntington Center, one of the things they said at the end was, they said, Joy, if you're putting $30 million in contracts and we're funding, how come this is the first time we're having a conversation with you? So when I think about a recession, I was telling Lisa a couple of weeks ago, I need you to raise as much money right. as possible because, you know, we don't want people depending on government dollars because they're restrictive and if a recession would impact that, right? Yeah. But the fact that we're having, um, have, we're having these conversations with leaders corporate funding leaders and we're trying to make sure that we're aligning in our decision is beneficial to our community. Do I worry about a recession? Yes, but I would hope that those leaders will stay maintain the focus of the goal and ensuring that we, you know, we we give to those initiatives that are most impactful. Uh, and I'll, I'll just add what excites me about this time is that I think we're having different conversations in a different kind of way. 
Um, <clears throat> I, I love the idea that the oper that the innovation center will be housed with the partnership, and that we have buy-in and uh, true partnership. And and that's the thing that I emphasize is partnership over patriarchy. Oftentimes, uh, the example I would use is from a, a documentary called Poverty Inc. Oftentimes, we're well-intentioned. We want to come in and help, and we provide what has been tied, uh, labeled toxic charity. Uh, the example they give is when uh, you had the crisis in Haiti, and people wanted to help, and so we flooded their country with free rice. And it became a staple of their diet, which changed some of their, their dietary uh, uh, kind of uh, consumption. But what it also did was it put all the rice farmers out of business. And so it decimated the workforce. The example that was what we would consider partnership was a company that was building, building solar panels, trying to restore electricity to Haiti. And what they did was they invested in creating uh, jobs and the local people teaching them so that they could build companies. And so you're solving a problem while also helping to build the infrastructure. And so as long as we continue these conversations and we truly have a partnership and it's not just top down, um, I think now we're getting ahead and we're having these conversations before the recession hits, I do believe it is it is coming. Um, but how we respond to it, I think, will be differently because of these conversations. You're talking about some really big picture issues when you talk about structural racism and uh, you know the historic impact of redlining and gentrification and those types of problems. So, can you talk a little bit about what metrics you're going to use to tell if these programs are having an impact, especially when you factor in that. If we do see a recession in the next couple of years, that's going to change right. the overall picture of growth and wealth in Columbus. So one of the goals, um, one of the, the, the first things that once the Leadership Council was established, um, they will be putting an RFP on the street to develop metrics for these 13 goals and action steps. Because we want to make sure that we measure the right thing, right? So today, I cannot tell you what the metrics are, but what I will say is this. When you have 29% of black and brown people that are Im impacted about poverty when it's, what, 16% for others, we gotta, we gotta lower that number. So today I can tell you, I don't know how that's gonna happen, but we will know we're successful when we start, when we start seeing things more equitable. I think when you see what Lisa is currently doing with the nonprofits, particularly around board participation and diversity of boards, that's on the nonprofit level. We also need to look at that at the corporate levels for board participation as well. I mean, those are some of the things, and those are some of the conversations that need to happen at the leadership level mm -hmm. within the corporate community to look at who is part of your leadership and do they really reflect, you know, the SMSA within where you live. I mean, I know that sounds very simplistic, <laughs> but... That's where it needs to, I think you need to be simple and not be complicated as far as how you look at your organization. Look at that first. Um, you know, from a retail standpoint, look at who your customers are. Look at that demographic. Look at that demographic that you are your customer base. Is that reflective in your workforce at, all, at your levels? Those are some of the things that you can look at initially. And then we will get to the numbers, mm -hmm. but we first have to really look at what the recommended mm -hmm. goals are that we're going to focus on, look at what that big idea is going to be, 
And then from there, break that down and go take a deeper dive. And that's what the Leadership Council will be doing. And, not, and understanding that we did not get here overnight, right? We didn't get here two years ago. We've been here for a long time. It is going to take a long time to unravel this. We are in a we're in this race for several marathons, right? Mm -hmm. We would like to see change within, you know, many times when you know a plan is written, you know, we have a cure for something, let's go ahead and fix it and we can get, you know, we'll get great results in six months. This is not what this is. Because it's, it's a multi-system complex problem. And we have to unravel how we got here. So we're going to have to be very patient as a community and understanding. Because like you, you know, we've, we've asked the question of a recession. We don't know what happens. Every recession is different, right? So we don't know what, what dollars will be you know, dissolved during a recession. We don't know what's going to happen. But we have to maintain the course in working this plan and ensuring that we do meet we do deliver on what we say we're going to do for the people's plan, which is this blueprint. But again, it's not going to happen in a year. That, that was one of my questions, uh, you know, actually, because uh, just the beginning starting document had, you know, 13 goals, 52 steps, uh, you know, a, a steering committee of, 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 a, of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you balance the multi-step, you know, multi-goal plan that you have with, you know, being able to, to focus on kind of what, what is most important? So we're we're going to focus on three of the thirteen goals initially, and one of the big ideas, as Trudy talked about, you know, we have a publicly funded child care program, but those families who are on the benefits cliff, we're going to look at putting together a um, a team to analyze and research the cost of a program that simulates publicly funded child care just for families that are on the benefits clip level. So it is a lot of steps, but we're going to start with three of the um, 13 goals and one of those big, one of those recommended big ideas. But as Trudy talked about earlier, the, the leadership team could come together and say, let's test this one as well. Lisa, you, you alluded to the fact that the, the charitable community is inefficient, I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. So what part of this initiative is really gonna take a look at how do we bring, you know, disparate charities together and, and find the ones that are the most effective, the most efficient? All right, well, that's a good question. So we will certainly be leading that in the space of health and human, human services and social services because that's our lane, but we will be inviting others to the table like the Columbus Foundation, which deals with the breadth of nonprofits, the environment, the arts, but our focus will, we will stay focused on the human services. What are the main takeaways that you want us to have as, as kind of whether it's the next six months or the next six years uh, as, as we watch and monitor how you're doing? I would say that when the commissioners took us down this road, we understood that there is no silver bullet to eradicate poverty. So I would ask the community, the business community, every system leader to understand that this is a plan to align all of us to get us in the same boat so we're moving towards the same goal. We all care about the most vulnerable, but however, there's some things we have to tackle within our own houses first. So I would ask everyone to be optimistic, to lean into the work. If you can assist in any way, sign up for a work group, because this is not just one, this is not just a Columbus issue, this is a Franklin County issue, and we need everyone to, in, we need everyone at the table 
assisting us in moving this plan forward. So again, just be patient, bring their resources, bring their great ideas, and, and own this work as well. This is not just the Franklin County Commissioner's blueprint plan. This is our community plan. This is the people's plan. We have the most vulnerable that are depending on us to get this right. I would ask the community to be patient. It took us a long time to get where we are today with our numbers as far as from a poverty standpoint. And it's going to be incremental increases that gets us out of that because we're doing it on so many different fronts in a very holistic manner. We're looking at what is currently happening and we're looking at how we can be complementary or maybe do away with some things that are not working. And how do we build an infrastructure and a structure that aligns with the focus of getting individuals to prosperity and what their idea of success is for their household and their family? It's not a patriarchal type of effort. It's an effort that helps an individual with the resources that they need as far as to get to what they want for their family. And it's going to take all of us in Columbus to do that. It's going to take the education community, pre-K through 12, higher ed. It's going to take the corporate community. It's going to take nonprofits. It's going to take the community itself to help lead us mm -hmm. because this is their plan. And we really need to do check-ins to find out if we're making a difference because there's skepticism. You know, there are so many plans out there and we're like, oh, there's just another one of those. <laughs> so we'd have to be very, very intentional that once we stand up this center and it's based upon the Rise Together Blueprint, that we do annual check-ins and annual report outs. And we have to be transparent as far as what has not worked and where we have been successful. And what are some of the things we need to rethink? Because this is an evolutionary plan. It's not something that's just stagnant. It's going to grow as Columbus and the county grows and changes. And so it has to be flexible in that in that manner as well. So this is what we're doing right now, but in five years, we may look at it again and say, okay, from our metrics, this is what some of our outcomes were. Here are some of the things that we did that did not work. Here's some of the things that we are not going to scale up because we can't. And here's some new things we're going to think about and we're going to try out. So as I said, I just want the Franklin County community to be patient. I want the municipalities that surround Columbus to know that this is their plan too. It is not just based on Columbus because poverty is in all of our suburbs. No matter how, you know, let's say socioeconomically impactful we believe they are, there is poverty everywhere. And there are kids who are free and reduced lunch in all schools. Mm -hmm. And that is a reflection of the community. So as I said, this is the county plan. It's not a Columbus plan. And be patient and please assist us and give us your feedback as we move forward. 
I'm preaching uh, partnership over patriarchy, and <laughs> I practice what I preach. We have a tripartite board uh, made up of one-third low-income people or low-income representatives, and so they're at the table. We're in partnership. We're, we're going to have to get comfortable with some uncomfortable conversations, but we need to lean into that. Kenny is right. We all want the same things. I want businesses to thrive so that they can uh, have high-paying jobs and offer them to our community, and we want those individuals to thrive so that they have discretionary income, and so it becomes a, a, a system, a, a codependent system. And so we want the same things. Um, we may have different ideas, and so I can acknowledge that Amazon's doing some very creative and disruptive things, but I can also be critical uh, that they're not paying their fair share in taxes and mm -hmm. that we all need it. And, and so we can have those conversations, but realize that there are some uh, things that we can focus on in terms of our common agenda. And if we come into that with a space of being open, acknowledging our implicit biases and having those real conversations, mm -hmm. then we can all thrive. So partnership over patriarchy, uh, when we come into it with that spirit, we will all thrive. It's just an acknowledgement of what a great community we actually have. If we weren't a great community, we wouldn't be doing this and having the conversations and having the leadership. If you go into a group that's working on this, you know, there's people that are just fighting these battles and sticking up for the most vulnerable of our population every day and doing unbelievable stuff. And that actually gets you pretty inspired because it's difficult problems and most of the people in the room don't have to do it. And, um, and yet they go to kind of war every day to do it. You're going to hear us talk about the economic development community is going to be extremely locked in on this, right? For really valid reasons, right? So, we've been on a uh, at the end of the last recession, it was it was we want activity, we want growth because you know growth had stagnated, things were upside down. That was that was a rational way to go about your economic development work. And now it's evolved a little bit more. Growth is still going to be a precursor to any good things that happen. Private sector growth is still a precursor to any good things that happen. A full-time job with health benefits is maybe the best social program ever created, and I'd say is changing lives every day. It is mm -hmm. unbelievably impactful. That's what we wake up every morning and go to bed every night thinking. But we're going to be very focused about using our platform to talk about housing, mobility, yeah. uh, inequities, uh, removing obstacles to these things so that we can actually build more capacity. It, again, at some point, it's a ceiling to our growth and prosperity if these things are sort of eating away from at our communities from the from the inside. Not just individual neighborhoods and stuff, but literally, you know, tax rolls and the cost of this to government, mm -hmm. right, is is a is a real thing. We can't have thriving governments that actually can build the safety nets that we're going to inevitably have to have. You know, this we're not going to eradicate right. things mm -hmm. to 0%. You're going to have to be, have people in the short term and perhaps in the long term that need help. And we need to have well-funded governments and tax bases that actually can deal with that. So that's an economic development issue we'll be talking about more. And I think you'll see us, well, I wouldn't call it a measure. You will see a lot of monitoring of our trajectory on these things. What are the indicators? How are we comparing? Are we moving the right direction? Are we stagnating? Are we going the other direction against our competitive set? Things like that. At the end of the day, though, we know what a prosperous community looks like. That's not failing schools, and it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not failing neighborhoods and beat-up houses and stuff. I mean, it's some of it's just common sense looking around and um, saying, you know, we, we know what 
prosperity looks like, and let's let's go after it and try to get it done. So you'll hear you'll hear probably more talk about this. I don't think just from us, by the way. I think from lots of our community partners, and then you'll hear it, and you'll see it in that paper and stuff of the people that are working really hard around the country on the same issue. I think your question was, how could you be helpful? <laughs> well, I just want to applaud you for your editorial voice. Yes. That's lifted up a lot of these issues recently mm -hmm. yes. in the past year or two. So thank you for that, and I would hope that you would continue to do that. Joy, Trudy, Bo, Kenny, Lisa, thank you very much uh, for your time uh, and your input today. To your point, I would say to continue uh, watching our coverage because uh, I agree with what you are saying, that this is a core economic development issue for the community. Uh, it's a, It's got to be a holistic approach, and yes, we will be patient. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Uh, we didn't rehearse that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you again very much, and uh, we'll see you next time.